0: But so that's just it. When when I I see the world we live in now, the world of of um, the world of economy of modern man in in this economy, and and I sense something other, but but I have a hard time to sort of put. I have a hard time to fantasize up what it would be able to look like, how it could function, sort of practically. I can I can paint the broad picture, uh, this utopia that I've been talking about. I can paint that, but but how it would work? What would the systems be like? How how would what would flow and how? between us
1: sort of well just let's let's just take a step back and back and sort of talk about the the basic function of money what it does is is enabling us to trade services and and goods uh, at a very easy sort of conversion instead of me trading two bags of rice for for your services of building a factory I can pay you money so you can build a factory or whatever transaction there is uh, and instead of me paying my um, landlord in in eggs I pay them money and then I go buy eggs and then I produce my services to, to earn a living
0: hmm. it's a go-between
1: exactly and so what i think one would have to do in order to to envision all of this is to see what are our basic needs sort of what do i need money for today and in my case that is paying bills uh, you know buying a computer uh, buying food and paying my rent sort of very very um, brought down on a, on a very basic level. Okay, so let's envision me not having to do those things. I'd be given my, my apartment, I'd be given food. Um, whenever I needed a new computer, I could just get it. Then comes the problem of, of producing it. Someone has to build my apartment. Someone has to, you know, um, sort of produce the food. Take care of the chickens that, that produce the eggs. And I think that's where we stop. Because we can envision, you know, someone just giving us food. You know, walking into the grocery store, picking up those eggs and then walking out. That's not too hard to envision. I think, is, is the harder part. And there are a number of solutions there that we can look at. For example, in the food industry, well, you know, we're at the point where robots could do most of our, our production. And that the production that robots can't take care of, we can hope that humans want to take care of. Now we're now we're starting to get into the utopian sort of vision of everyone doing exactly what they want. But of what I think, because because I was very into this sort of trading thought in my teens, and I told told a friend about it. And we hadn't met in in a couple of years, and and I told him about it. You know, sort of. One of those conversations, we, we we ended up on the same bus, and somehow we we started to talk about money and the function of money. Um, and that's the point in at which people start to go, well, that's not going to happen because no one's gonna gonna want to go to the grocery market and and or gro- grocery store and start to fill up uh, the shelves because that's a pretty boring job. Right now, the main argument for doing it is money. Mm-hmm. And so, what I what I think we need to start looking at again is how can we produce things. Okay. There we go. Oh, lovely.
2: No, so Happy so to again. With you.
1: What I think we need to look at is how can we start producing those things that we really need, and who is going to do that? End of rant. And I might be mm-hmm. way off here, but. but mm-hmm.
0: but there's there's also that in that vision you sort of come from from our everyday where you don't have chickens in your garden and you don't have a pig and you don't you know you don't have the commons where you can grow a little bit of stuff you don't go out harvesting um in the forest for mushrooms and, and nettles and whatnot, right? So there's, there's big production involved. Um, which is true for for a large part of the world, but not all parts of the world. There are still communities where you do have your chickens and you are sort of much more self uh, sufficient in in or self sustaining in in the what you're producing sort of yourself. Um, and I guess for many of of us, I say who live in in like I do, I have had chickens though, but not anymore. But, but sort of living in this um modern modern society where I am dependent on others to produce actually becoming a producer myself on a on a small scale would probably be a huge shift um, but sort of romantic naive me with with this constant sort of um liking and 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 sort of romanticized love for that type of you know spinning your own yarn and, and knitting your own clothes and you know there's an allure there in me as a person um and i know many people just go she's absolutely bonkers like no way i will ever knit my own clothes <laughs> yeah i
1: wouldn't say you're bonkers but but i would definitely say i can't think of many worse things than knitting my own shirt <laughs> ever you know
2: how about crocheting your own underwear no never <laughs> my I'm underwear like, is oh, in yeah.
1: polyester oh yeah i don't even know what polyester is
0: you don't want to (laughs) know you know
1: i'm so far from from (laughs) producing anything like that and of course i've you know in a society where i would have to i would of course adapt and
0: bribe somebody to do it yeah
2: I saw a, a a great retort once in the discussion about um, the, the virtues of uh, privately or publicly owned functions in a society and somebody wrote something along the lines of, uh, who will fix the roads? And somebody answered the same people who do now. And there's something kind of, um, uh, how should one put it, that's, that's quite uh, glib and possibly insensitive about that sort of answer, but there's also something in it that's quite valuable, in that everything is still going to be produced by humans. Or to be even more Um, to the point to be even more accurate on a meta level everything is still going to be produced by life so those potentials don't disappear but what does change is is the ways in which we organise them the lenses through which we see the world and that's really the difficulty. Um, I mean, one of those difficulties for me is that whenever we talk about any of these alternatives, um, there's pretty much uh, a spectrum that's, that's oriented around either uh, authoritarian, dystopian uh, sort of uh, uh, catastrophe, or the other side is, is called utopian... Something or other, you know, some sort of um, uh, libertarian freedom, um, social democracy, whatever it is. But it's like utopia versus dystopia. And I'm not really convinced that that discussion ever goes away, whether it has ever changed. We always in the nowtopia. Whatever it is we're going to deal with, whether it's 1660 or 2020, uh, we're always in the now-topia. This is our world, this is our context, and whatever we can imagine in this context is probably possible. And then there's a bunch of stuff that we can't yet imagine, but that will probably become possible because it builds on the things that we can imagine. And the stuff we can imagine right now is pretty spectacular. I mean, if you sort of just back up a hundred years and and look at Buckminster Fuller, if you look at, um, what were they called, the Zeitgeist Project? What was his name? Um, And there's probably a number of these kind of uh, uh, people, you know. Um, uh, Well, yeah, there's... uh, There's amazing, amazing capacity amongst humans to envision futures that uh, rather than try and and solve the problems that we've got right now, try and solve the challenges that we've got right now, um, look at those premises for why we are here, how we come to be, uh, what is the, the state of our awareness and try and work out of those things in a, in a, a really grounded way. So I mentioned a few talks ago, the the, the UN commissioned a report on, on food as commons, and they examined um, some of the issues around what that might be. And And, and considering that this is one of the absolute first Uh, of such exercises at such a high level of institutional engagement. Um, Probably one shouldn't expect that many answers, but you could expect a a number of really interesting questions coming up. I remember in in the 90s um, there was this movement called Let's L-E-T-S, um, and LETS uh, was an acronym for Local Energy Transfer System. Um, and LETS was a cryptocurrency before uh, digital cryptocurrencies, long before digital cryptocurrencies. At that stage, it had existed for, I don't know, about 20 years, something like a, a sort of a post-hippie um, uh, Coming down into the real world, um, you know, if you see the Earthship movements and et cetera, United States people started to understand that there are ways to deal with economies on a local scale um, that are actually sustainable. And and let's us basically the idea that um, money is just a, a a way of transfer, as you're saying. So uh, you and I will come to an agreement that every um, hour of work that I do or that anybody does is worth say um, uh, 10 units and you accumulate those 10 units doing whatever it is that you do. So whether you're growing your vegetables or whether you're cutting hair or whether you're changing tires um, when your customer comes in they uh, credit your account with 10 units. And so you accumulate some units and then you go out and spend these things. And at the time, according to the the people who were presenting this model, um, in Australia, 600 communities had established LETS systems. And the economic value of their collective uh, uh, application of, of, of their energies, of their time, made it possible for them to negotiate with the Australian government to give over all of the uh, uh, utilities, the the services that towns would typically provide into these communities for self-ownership, which they would then manage through lets. And lets related only to services. So goods would be paid for by cash. Lets would deal with services. And I'm not suggesting that this is the way. I'm just saying that Um, the 70s was forever ago, you know, 40 years ago, people were um, working on this stuff. By today, these kind of of ways of thinking are extremely um, more adapted or or appropriate to complex systems. So if you look at, um, say, Holochain, um, which is a far more, community commons ethic approach to blockchain and dig in there and it's 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 a substantial amount of material to look at Um, there are real architectures with real tools with real mechanisms with real protocols that can possibly make that type of world available
0: I'm looking at my copy of Aldous Huxley's Brave New World. Um, and wonder a bit about that now-topia, because it's as if things happen, right? People, we invent things and we come up with new stuff. And, and once a thought has been thought, once chances are it's much more likely to come up in the head of somebody else. And and we've sort of seen this. Again, I have my, my archaeologist friend who's sort of pointing this out to me many, many years ago, how basket weaving sort of in, in archaeological finds, you have found this throughout the globe at the same time so that it's not this basket has actually gone over here to this other continent but somebody here came up with basket weaving and might have been the first one and it popped up throughout the globe and then it's like okay now we're we do basket weaving even though the 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 f- actual transfer of the knowledge didn't happen in that sort of physical sense um so is that is that a little bit what I hear you say, Dominic, that people are thinking about new ways of setting up and there's experiments going on and, and sort of, you know, sit still in the boat, don't rock it, something will happen. <laughs> or but it's like, well shit. I'm not one of those people thinking up those things, but it's like I wanna I I wanna rock that boat but maybe it's rocked enough at the moment
2: well I'm I have never had the impression that humans have existed without thinking about new stuff without making up ways to change to improve to um, to make things easier uh, to extend their arm you know um sometimes with regrettable results but uh, as a species uh disruption is our business that's what we do um however attractive the the sort of um, primitivist worldview is that everybody is continuously only working to preserve the balance of nature etc cetera, etc cetera. um Archaeology tells us that that isn't quite true. In fact, it's probably substantially untrue. And that's okay. I mean, it doesn't necessarily mean that humans have been there to destroy nature. It just means that um, the thing that you're describing of not sitting still in the boat, that's what we do. So yeah, people are thinking up new stuff and they've always been thinking up new stuff. And they're probably going to continue thinking up new stuff. And um, in this trajectory of new stuff, the new stuff is generally being thought of within a particular uh, ethic, within a particular worldview, uh, within a particular series of interpretations of reality. Um, The industrial age is just... A series of innovations around how we interpret reality. Um, when, when, when uh, the printing press comes online, you know that also is one of those moments where big shifts happen, um, and they look like they happen exactly because somebody came up with a printing press at home on a Sunday, on a Monday, printing press, Tuesday the world changes. Uh, That just isn't how it is, you know. There are thousands of monks sitting, uh, uh, you know, painting out illuminated texts for years uh, and during those processes, small developments. um, And then, yes, maybe something kind of goes over. But also there is this thing of, um, of a field of energy a field of knowledge Um, Rupert Sheldrake demonstrates this uh, in so many ways in 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 his uh, morphogenic field theory um, dating back to experiments from Douglas that I think are commonly known as the hundredth monkey effect Um, but uh, Douglas looks at initially rats and how uh, rats learn new skills and that control groups of rats, um, and there's two things that happen here, that control groups of rats on, on in, in different locations start to uh, uh, display the ability to learn faster. The thing that the first group of rats managed to do in, uh, for argument's sake, a month now takes a week. But the really interesting part is that um, that event uh, 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 is... Um, enhanced with generations. So future generations of rats are born with the learning genetically encoded. And this seemingly applies to just about any uh, uh, living organism, that there is information carried genetically in a network of life across the um, the web of uh, different forms of life, and that forms part of this picture that 's why people start to weave more or less at the same time and we, we see this all the time in real time right now, uh, very similar discoveries are made across the globe, and you know the the, the fact that we have the kind of, of interconnectivity digitally uh, probably just enhances that, but the effect is seen. Uh, many many years prior to. I mean, as your archaeologist friend points out, and that's a fairly consistent um, observation made in different uh, uh, different fields. So I'm saying, yeah, what a wonderful idea that we can improve things. Um, Yeah, we actually have a number of elements in place uh, mentally, etc., etc. We've got some really, really good ideas. We've got good tech. We've got uh, bright minds, etc., etc. And somehow the result of corona is that the majority of governments are trying to gain more power, that there's a kind of devolution into... Uh, uh, greater authoritarianism. Well, here's sort of some part of that problem. How come we're stuck in the spectrum of dystopia or utopia? We might need a new spectrum. You know, we might need to imagine a new context um, or, or, or work towards a, a new worldview. You know, this uh, very popular discussion of paradigm shift, uh, sort of imminent paradigm shift. Um, well, again, it might not happen on Sunday and be on the news on Monday, but that might just be an important thing. So for But so is us. it
0: the reason why governments across the world right now are sort of, you know, introducing sort of temporary with air bunnies, apparently temporary or... Um, legislation that grants them more powers to shut down societies and yada yada this and that I don't know what my question is is it is it is it again this thing of of sort of it's easier to follow along we've seen one country do it one government do it then i will too we will too and and we sort of roll from there and and what sort of what would it take for for a government to say no let's start Doing something else. Let's start to crowdsource this thing. Let's let's work at this. But 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 then in a sense that is asking them to step outside of their systems. It's like that's a hell of an ask. Right? How the would that be possible?
2: So from your point of view, in, in a uh, some sort of uh, 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 bio industry laboratory, how are you going to be able to make that decision what decision one that you're describing for governments to make
0: to to do something else a step outside well i can again it's it's I usually have a habit of going up but, but this corona thing has sort of gone it makes me go down into me uh, and give me as the example what I do within the project I'm currently working on where we're building a facility I question I do rock that boat and and I do that continuously with every document that comes up. Do we really need it? What's it for? How can we make it as usable as possible? Sort of, you know, m- most bang for the buck for the least amount of bucks. Um, and that's a continuous process. So... I guess that's one of the things that I would be very interested to sort of be a little fly on the wall with, within some type of governmental um setting and, and you know listening in are are there and I'm sure there are people who do that who say well hey wait what if or what if if not um And in in one sense, the the health authorities of Sweden are in in some sense walking their own little path uh, to the sort of chagrin of of Trump and the World Health Organization. And I don't know everything, but at the same time. Um, You've pointed out, Dominic, that the Swedish government is at the same time uh, sort of pushing through these these uh, quick laws to to be able to shut down society if it needs to be, yada yada. So that authoritarian path is is being done in in one sense of of, of the systems we have and in, in another Maybe there is a path that's, you know, not so much going along with the flow.
2: Yeah, and just to add to the confusion of that, from the outside it looks like these Swedish uh, uh, health authorities are doing their own thing. But from the inside, um, it actually looks like they're doing exactly what they always do i.e. their own thing. So the 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 medical culture in Sweden is very peculiar. It's very peculiar. There's things that, that are common practice in Swedish medicine um, that any people coming to Libya from other countries just shake their heads at.
0: Such as, give us an example.
2: Uh, yeah um an example would be um cancer treatments uh an example would be um the sort of range of uh what do you call them um, arthritic diseases um what do you, what do you call them uh, uh rheumatic spectrum um I mean, there's just really special stuff, you know, you can sort of...
0: And what is it that we are doing in cancer treating or with rheumatic illnesses? Well, with rheumatic
2: illnesses, the sort of common uh, um, consensus is uh, there isn't any knowledge on rheumatic illness that leads to treatment. So you should just take your your painkillers and get on with it. And that's part of a, a, a cultural problem in so many sectors within Swedish society. Whether you're speaking about energy sector or um, you know, uh, engineering arenas, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, is that, that uh, Sweden is traditionally very inward-looking. And th- lots of the institutional structures are set up for loyalty, Um, right from universities. It's about affirming your own bias in a manner that is quite positive. So I just want to say that, you know, uh, the rest of the world might think that Sweden are rebellious and have really thought this out. I doubt that very much. I really do. (laughs) I think they're really doing the the thing that, that Swedes do, which is that, um, you don't stick out. You don't uh, make a, um, You don't. You don't perform, in a way that's um, ostentatious or making your own decision or that kind of thing. That's culturally totally unacceptable and, and quite unlikely, that that is the scenario within uh, Karolinska or these kind of institutions.
0: One of the things that my brother points out, um, he's a fellow of St John's at Cambridge and does I don't I don't I never know what it's called, but sort of type political science or something or other. But but he has sort of being first doing his PhD at Cornell University in in, in US and then now being at Cambridge and St. John's for many years. Um it's so interesting to him to see how Swedish universities sort of, you know, you're you you you're a student at a university, then you take your PhD there, possibly you do a postdoc somewhere else, but then you come home and you sort of stay within your university, whereas most other universities sort of on a global scale, it's like they kick you out. Once you've done your PhD, you're out. You will not get a job here at this university. Because we need you to be out somewhere sort of spreading the knowledge that you've gained from this university and making people want to come to us. Um.
2: Yeah, I think it kind of goes even a level deeper that in many countries you might have a problem being able to do your PhD at the same university you did your master's. And definitely your supervisor cannot be a specialist in uh, the area that you're studying in. In Sweden, often you do your PhD as, as sort of uh, support uh, research for your supervisor that's really weird shit you know it's 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 obviously flawed but it is common but to get back to how do you know in your role to dig down and say well we need to ask these questions where do you get that knowledge from how do you how do you how have you managed to um, be to have this in your being you say you you go down you've you've managed to actually ground the stuff you've been learned to embody it into your practice how do you get there
0: well i would say for me it's because i've been outside of the industry it's because i'm not just working within the pharma industry it's because i also I have been doing other types of work. I do sort of life coaching. I, I, I was highly involved in the Swedish school debate. I've been, been doing leadership training sort of for totally different um, groups or industries than the one that I sort of come from. Um, I think that's, that's one of the, of the important aspects of it. Um, but I would also say that one of the other aspects of it is deliberately, somehow, for the past 10 years, connecting with people like you, sort of drawing in, making my bubble be a bubble of of questions of curiosity of of great thoughts that just make me go what the um so that i'm 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 sort of i'm in a tumbler for a lot of 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 my awake time which means that when i'm in 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 a setting where sort of then I will be the tumbler. Um, um, I can be tumbled or I can be the tumbler. And, and with you guys, I tumble, <laughs> you know. Uh, and then I can go and into other people's. I can make them tumble within sort of the space that I hold. Um, if that makes sense.
2: So if you're the... the the consulting voice for your government, what's your advice?
0: To think more other than you, uh, to, to sort of to question, to not, to to try to, again, like we said the other day, that step into, that inch into the unknown. What would that inch look like right here, right now? What could we do that would just, you know, at least a little bit open a door to something other? How I would do that, I don't know. Question, be really obnoxious, scream and shout, um, you know. Bang somebody over the head, start to cry. I, you know, I don't know. <laughs>
1: um. I do, I know that you wouldn't shout and scream or bang someone over the head. you build relationships. <laughs> god damn it that's what you've been doing for the past 20 years at least 10
2: thank god we got the PR consultancy (laughs) (laughs) we don't really hit people over the head (laughs) it's a metaphor
1: (laughs) no but it's because I know Mm Hiliana. yeah all three of us know that
2: Yeah, but we all know intuitively that 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 approaching these uh, uh, authorities or power structures um, in this form is not that effective. In what form? Well, in in the in the form of a discussion of could we do this a little bit different? Could we maybe try, uh, you know, um, open the crack just a little bit I mean whether you've got people camping on Wall Street or uh, whether you have reports being written by you know formal agencies uh, the change rate is extremely extremely slow and low uh, and generally um, cosmetic and there are arguments for that you know it's about maintaining stability and uh, you know the common good, and etc. etc. et, cetera, et cetera. Um, But we can agree that the, the the rate of change and the direction of change is, is pretty much anything than what we're talking about, seen from a short perspective, yeah? seen from a, a short arc of time, from a longer arc of time. The picture looks kind of, possibly looks different. Maybe it looks like it's in balance, you know, but... Uh, I mean part of the, the 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 challenge here is that our our domains of social being have become all uh, attached to um the the economic domain what do you mean so so the the cultural domain has Especially during the last hundred years, become inextricably linked to a monetized market. The same goes for politics. Um, so, money, politics, and culture um, have melded steadily into one apparently single body. There's 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 interdependencies between these things that didn't necessarily exist in that form. At say the time of the French Revolution, and that creates uh, uh, quite special challenges. It brings demands on on uh, our abilities to attend to what it is that we think we're seeing, because as this 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 virus demonstrates, there are interdependencies. Uh, between interdependencies, there's a, a very deep network of, of quite fragile relationships that when you stick your finger in one, um, it kind of changes a lot of other stuff. So we are forced with this problem of um, that we can't solve any of the problems uh, without solving all of the problems at the same time. And that sort of says to me that we're at the um, the last sort of a, a millimeter of space of the the glass ceiling there's no room to maneuver We've sort of run out of options to manipulate and 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 do the cosmetic changes and maybe if we can um, Envision what 's above the glass ceiling on a more in a more concrete way um, might just be possible that we could get past it so we 've seen for example there 's been um, uh, uh, as the the virus uh, energy shifts, people become more um, used to that this is where we're at right now Um, so uh, a lot of the the discursive uh, the the, um, publication the conversation is less around what the virus is um, and how many people are going to die that was like the first thing and what should be done immediately and then that's become a little bit more around um, what are the the after effects going to be. Now it's sort of calmed down to the point where you can start blaming certain things. Um, And in that blame process, you notice that there's amazing amounts of forewarning. There's no shortage of good information, you know, but we're going to run the same thing that we did in 2008, where we say we could never have foreseen it. Well, no, it's not true. Um, But that's also a fairly consistent pattern that um, we do run into these problems. Generally, we say that we couldn't foresee them. um, And then it generally does turn up that, well, actually, mm, we did foresee it. So how do these things work? How come it is that the intelligence exists... um, but it doesn't actually get put into place. Those questions you putting, in, um, they don't result in some sort of coordination. It doesn't result in coherence. Mm.
0: But again, sort of from um, the work I've done in, in sort of food and pharma, you know, Risk-based approach is sort of the name of the game. The, the FDA, the Food and Drug Administration of the U.S., in 2001, 2003, something or other, realized that the, the requirements that they had put on the pharma industry had, in effect, caused the industry, which is conservative to start with, to be basically not moving forward at all, because making a change, say, implementing a new process, sort of a, a, a better machine, something that would really improve your process, it required so much work for you to, to make that change that it was easier for companies to just know, we'll just stick to this process that we invented in the 50s. Because it, it's just, it's, it's too much work. It's so cumbersome. So the FDA did something in the early 2000s, basically withdrawing all of their white papers, all of their regulations, more or less, but a few of them at least, saying, wait, 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 we screwed up. You need to work according to a risk-based approach. Uh, you need to implement... Risk assessment, so that the risk for the the patient, is sort of that's number one. Uh, the risk for for the operator doing the procedures and and you know making the pill or whatever it is and, and environment etc. But you need to work on a risk based approach. And the industry sort of have now been sort of touting this phrase for the past 15-20 years but really not acting accordingly and having sit through or having sit through FMEAs failure modes and effect analysis or hazard analysis and critical control you know it's like just these risk um, assessment procedures are so fucking boring. First of all, sorry, it's just boring as hell. And you go, you can sort of, you can think of, if you know, you have a complex machine, what can go wrong? Every fucking thing. And you need to write down everything. You need to state what's the, uh, you know, what's the severity if this risk happens? What's the, Uh, occurrence rates what's the what's our ability to detect it you know and 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 then how can we counterbalance this which makes it a theoretical procedure that for me I would say once in a while actually has worthwhile results it actually makes an impact we make a good decision based on something that we've discovered throughout this process, but ninety-eight percent of the time, it's just bullshit. It's it's just bullshit. It doesn't, at best, it helps us learn our process or our gear better. At best, um, but at the cost of it, I'm not sure if that's sort of enough but so that's one of the things that i think when you say this that we've done these things yeah we've done these things but we have i've yet to sort of see and and by all means i'm i'm just a one person i haven't seen that much of it so there might be excellent ideas or sort of practices about it but generally speaking we go too wide when we do these risk assessments rather than just say okay these are actually three of the top um, scenarios that that could happen forget about the the other 2023 and let's see if we can just if we can work out plans for these three mitigating actions you know plans whatever that would would Take us long further. Maybe that's how it's done, I don't know, but looking around Sweden today, it doesn't seem like it. And then you have that blame sort of, well, each region should have. Well, yeah, apparently didn't. And a rant.
1: I think. I remember where I read or heard someone say that the the loss of a country should be, they should be possible to sum up in in a leaflet or a flyer. And that's sort of what I'm hearing when, when you're talking and I putting it in a bigger context of, you know, the system shouldn't be so complex that we can't even explain it, mm. which I think mm. is the case in, in many uh, contexts today. Mm. You know, I can, I can barely start to, to describe how, how the voting system in Sweden works today. Even less in the UK or the US, I have no fucking idea.
2: But you've been educated on just that question since you went in, what, seventh grade? Mm. Mm. And what does that feel like? I mean the issue of complexity of not having a a grasp on the decision-making processes in the world around you.
1: I can't really be bothered with it. You know, we we had um, we had a test on the EU in my gymnasium studies. we had a brilliant teacher, but he—he he was also he'd been in Brussels working, uh, so he knew the system very, very well. And and at my school there was a culture of you know we like the EU sort of. Um, but at a test I we we learned about all of these you know the the chamber of secrets and. The house of That's a whatever.
0: great one. Great one. I wanna work there. The Chamber of Secrets, please.
1: You know, they, they we, we learned all of these four pillars of carrying a stone. I don't I don't even know what the fuck they were. Um I got a decent grade on the test, however. The last question on the test was codes. Sorry?
2: Were there any secret codes? inscribed on the pillars and so on (laughs) no but the the last question of
1: the test which was also um sort of like and it was an essay question it was the question you had to put most most emphasis on to to get a higher grade uh and the question was something of the sort of um if you could redesign some part of of how the EU works, what would you do and why? Sort of and you got you got an A4 to to answer that question. And so the thought was from, from the teacher side to sort of encourage students to to learn a little bit more about one specific part of the EU and, and then use that knowledge to to something constructive. Um my answer was um I would level the whole thing as it is right now, and I would start asking people of how they think it should be uh, designed. Yeah. Simple as that well, not quite as simple as that, but, but pretty much, you know, coming from, again, a very liberal and, and sort of freedom point of view. Uh, I just recently learned that you know seventy percent of all of the laws in Sweden are governed by the EU or whatever the number is. Um, I was like, "Fuck that! Nope, not gonna happen." And then I got a got a chance to to redesign it, and that was sort of my my um, um, starting point. It should be so simple that I could describe it myself. Mm. Because I couldn't. You know, I I had no fucking clue. We'd studied the thing for for six weeks or something. Several different classes. I've done several tests on it. I have no fucking clue of how the EU works.
0: There's a a story about... uh... Top executive at Toyota, where um, basically, if you have a, uh, if you had an idea, a suggestion, uh, a new invention, a new investment, a new whatever, you had two paper. I mean, you had you had two sheets of paper. That's what you had. If you couldn't fit it inside of two sheets of paper, you know, he he was not listening. So it doesn't matter if you sort of, you know, you've amassed all of this data, you have 80 pages of graphs and, and, you know, it was like, sorry, I don't want it. If you can't put it down on two pieces of paper, I don't want to hear it. You're not finished yet because you haven't been able to do just what you're pointing to, Caspian. Explain it in such a simple way that it fits within two, two pieces of paper. Um and I think there are lots of things that are so hard to explain that very few people would be able to condense it um, and sort of be so succinct about it that it would fit into pieces of paper. And and not everything should, perhaps, but but sort of as a as a as an intention, as something to to strive for. Um, I think it's it's quite good. And and I see sort of the opposite uh in in many ways. Sort of it needs to be bigger and, and more and, and all of the data needs to be there and you know, it's like that's sort of what we're striving for or encouraged to. But then again, then we have I think it's Brene Brown who, who says that you know. Most, most research that is put forth is read by like 0.4 people, you know? It's like, because it's just not, it's, it's not communicable. Nobody understands this shit. Not even the person who is supposed to be your sort of supervising, supervisor when you're doing it. What if that wasn't sort of the... Hey, yay, you've written a totally incomprehensible thesis. Good on you. What if we could do it differently?
2: Yeah, and what if uh, we are just at that place in evolution of, of human endeavor where we really don't know where the fuck we are and the results coming out have got this quality of being really unclear. And that that little 1% that we can draw out of every unclear uh, research result is probably what is one of the building blocks of what is necessary. It's possible. Humans don't do perturbation that well. Perturbation... um, it's a kind of a, a collapse of ideas. When the the existing rules don't work, when the sort of um, the, 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 the expected structures, the things that you take for granted are going to work and they don't work, um, that's a, a disturbance in the system and when that happens um, we go shopping you know, it's <laughs> <laughs> we're going to buy all the toilet paper
0: i'm reading a book at the moment that i got from a, an acquaintance a year ago or or so it's called being wrong adventures in the margin of error by katherine schultz and i've only just started i'm 12 pages in so i'm not yet um sort of uh, I haven't grasped the entire thing, but one of the things that she points to is just this, that scientific evidence, basically all scientific evidence from the past, we've now proven wrong. So it would sort of makes sense to consider that all the scientific evidence of today will be proven wrong. And and just that, woo, Tankisbian, making you sort of realize that this thing that I'm so certain of, that you know, I have all these data of all of these hundred pages of graphs behind me supporting this, yes, based on what we know today based on the types of instruments we have to measure things, based on the types of intellect that we have available to to sort of scrunch at it and and twist it and turn it and put it into uh, multi-factor tests and, and whatnot. Today, this is what we know, which is something completely different than saying this is true. But today, this is, what, this is what we know. This is where we're at. We've come to the point where we can say that here, tomorrow, who knows? Most likely something will shift. But, but today, here's where we're at. Which is interesting in these times of, of 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 this pandemic, where there's sort of this mix of certainty and we don't know the fuck what we're doing. Um, sort of struggling, um, one country or one organization or one governmental agency sort of banging on the head of another because they should be doing something else. Well, how do you know? Like, who knows? What do we know? Okay, we know we have a pandemic, we have a virus, we've figured out sort of the, the what's it called? The R factor, the K factor, whatever, the spread rate. And, and you know, it's like we're amassing data, sure. Um, and we probably have tens of thousands of risk analyses on a global scale on just this topic what if there's a pandemic what if there's a virus you know
2: yeah well we had them prior to yes Yeah.
0: yeah but where are they are they public matter are the blueprints out there is this open source that's one of the things that i gathered from uh daily Daily's pod from new york times i'll listen to this um chinese researcher who published the the dna sequence of the of the covid virus or coronavirus in early january mid-january something or other sort of deliberately putting it out there for all researchers immunologists and virologists or whatever you might be called to be able to work it rather than, okay, I have to sequence it myself first before. No, somebody's done it, out with it. Um, Not so sure if his or her supervisor or boss was so happy about it, but, hey, again, crowdsource it.
2: Yeah, and I think that, you know, with all um, that... There exists also a body of knowledge about knowledge. There's a kind of a a whole field around um, uh, knowing uh, that highlights these kind of problems. Um, And one of the things for me personally to dig down into is that I don't get to learn anything if I don't give myself into that certainty... So, if I try to learn something about uh, a catastrophic pandemic, I have to take a a position for myself, uh, emotionally and at least convincing myself intellectually that this is possibly an extinction-level event, and 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 explore it from that point of view. You know that okay, we have an extinction-level event. What are we going to do? when I'm in a, in a in a state of saying, well, you know, I don't really know what I think, but maybe I could possibly imagine that I could have an opinion about this, um, it doesn't do anything for me. I need that energy, you know, I need that certainty in order to discover what I'm wrong about or for someone else to say, uh, hey, you know, uh, that stuff has already been disproven or... That's just speculation, or um, your thinking is skew, um, but certainty in that sense for me, is a way in which to explore it's to actually take the steps to really mix the colors you know, and like do something completely unexpected, different theoretical um, make that step into uh the world of uncertainty, but the step is a certain thing it's 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 a it's it's a it's an engagement of my own agency to say well i believe that capitalism is the best thing better than everything else okay shit now i've said it you know um so how does that work um and at that point there's a lot of arguments that are going to arrive saying well you know what about disaster capitalism or etc uh, etc cetera, et cetera? and i have to start to examine these things and and Um, in that examination there are two streams for me that are really really important how do I know what I know and what is the thing that I think that I know and we're really really good at the one thing the one part we know what we know we have these astonishingly uh, well-developed systems as you say for measuring um, for making graphs for gathering data etc etc and Only really in the last, let's say, 70 years post-war have we really started to examine how we know what we know and start to uh, actually look at the quality of experimentation, of um, how information and knowledge is is gathered and built, the methodologies uh, that we use to know what we know. And within that, that framework that you're talking about. What was her name? Um,
0: Catherine Schultz. Catherine
2: Schultz. And what was the book called? Something about the art of not knowing. Being Wrong.
0: Being Wrong, Adventures in the Margin of Error.
2: And even something like that, uh, wrongness emerges as a um, temporary gradual relational state they probabilities they kind of uh, degrees ways in which small shifts lead to very big error um, a few degrees off when you launch your rocket for Mars and it ends up on Uranus um, it's stuff that we know about but as a collective We're not really good at making the whole body move around with good hand-to-eye coordination. There isn't a lot of coherence. There isn't a lot of uh, result of genuine, collaborative, collective intelligence. Come back to your question, why don't governments do this? Well, maybe because they're governments. They're not designed to do the thing that that we're talking about. They're designed to do something else they're designed to be that conservative slow moving uh containing uh body of 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 decisions and decision makers
0: and and i mean that in and of itself there's there's a point to a car having both gas and brake you know you need, sometimes it's gas, sometimes you need to brake. And, and too much of, of one or the other, and, and, you know, either you're heading for disaster or you're just not moving at all. Um, so that sort of balance, knowing when to put one, um, and I think that's sort of true in in the sense that I think... I think, in many ways. Um, I'm not as early an adopter as Caspian, perhaps, but I'm still one of them um, and can sort of be impatient with sort of the laggards, you know, that just don't want to get on the train and sort of let's go. But but there's a balance to it. We sort of... Humanity needs that entire spectrum. There, We can't just... I mean... God forbid everybody would be early adopters. It would be hell. But but God forbid if everybody would be laggards as well. It would be hell too, right? So yeah, there's 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 that, but there's I think what, what Caspian, what you're pointing to about these sort of the ways of governing that we have today are to a large part made for a slower time where communication took much longer than it does today. So there's a lot, and and sort of when innovation wasn't as quick either. So just that aspect of speed has made um, sort of this, 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 the wise thought that you need, to, if you have, if you're introducing a new law, you need to work it. You need to sort of make sure it's there. You need to put it out to different organizations and sort of interested parties and get their feedback and stuff. But, but at the same time, you have sort of copyright law that is just shot to pieces because of the way. We share stuff today and, and the law just cannot sort of cope. It cannot be level with the level of, of, of innovation. It just, it, it just doesn't happen as it is right now. And, and I guess that's, that's one of the things with this pandemic, again, like we said a few episodes ago, neither of us can think of a time when so many of the of the people on the globe were sort of onto the same thing in, in more or less real time. We're all engaging with this one thing in a way that just hasn't been seen before. Because we've never had that ability before. We've never had that level of interconnectivity before at least in this sort of you can touch it way because the archaeological finds of, of basket weaving prove that we have that level of interconnectivity but maybe not on a much more unconscious level
1: and a rant again.
2: One of the sort of lines of development that I've seen a lot of, maybe for the last uh, 30 years, starting somewhere in the 90s, there's one pinnacle arena for me that um, uh, shows up. Uh, you could say in the in the in the in the wake of blockchain, uh, Bitcoin, um, these notions of of distributed autonomous organisations, so-called DAO stacks. So this sort of idea of networks of nodes of governance um, as potentially an alternative to the idea of government and this is really like a one of those moments of 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 um, historic value i think that we we for the last 20 years or so 30 years or so in this the the, at the, in parallel with the neoliberal project, um, there has been another line of development that has been about autonomy, that has been about um, shifting the paradigm of the form of, of um, government that you're speaking of uh, in this kind of slow, controlled, communicative, uh, naturally conservative, or by nature conservative. Uh, way of, of of engaging a populace to something that's that works the other way around um, that is locally autonomous that creates far greater degrees of of influence in uh, uh, local conditions um, that provides for um, how should one put this appropriate efficiencies so not looking for these kind of uh, so-called economies of scale because they give better money-on-money return um, and you end up sending your local produce to another country to be processed because there's cheaper labour in Poland or whatever the case is, you know, and that obviously leads to destruction. So this is much more about um, beneficiating local possibilities uh, within companies, within... Uh, small towns, regions, etc., etc., in a way that that we haven't really seen, we haven't really been able to experience these things. And they are new discussions and probably are going to be heard a lot more, Um, but possibly not, you know, uh, that they don't get heard precisely because we have these uh, very, very significantly powerful organizations like Google, like Facebook, like Amazon who channel um, that communications capability. So they literally have the power to switch off that message and do. I mean, um, you know, the, 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 we after the very big inverted commas scandal uh, around Russiagate and bloody blah, we've sort of Suggested to Mr. Zuckerberg that he should be in control of what we think um, And in fact, we expect him to take responsibility um, Similarly, it's like no, you can't be serious. Yep. We're very very serious. That's dangerous stuff And we don't want any of it. Our children can't be seeing this um, Those are the the challenges that we we have to deal with and as as you know from working as, as um a person facilitating change in organisations, um, you know, in, in in so many walks of life, uh, when you talk about um, the the brake pedal and the gas pedal, um, the brake pedal has change written on it. You know, it's like just stamp on that thing. We don't want too many things happening, and there's there's value in that. Too much change can easily upend things. That's why that full spectrum that you speak of is 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 really important. They need to be early adapters. But we need all of the generations. We have a little inkling of what it's like to be missing one of the generations when uh, world wars have occurred. There's quickly a sense of, of, oh, geez, this is not quite the way it's supposed to be. And after a while, those, those results start to emerge. Not always bad ones.
0: Mm-hmm. You have them also in in like China, with the one child policy. You have them in in India as well with these sort of infanticide of girls, where you know if 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 you can only have one child, it had better be a boy, and, and just that's not a generation, but it's it's sort of a a, a gender, um, a sex that's sort of gone missing. That leads to weird stuff as well or other stuff um other than what it is if if sort of if you just let nature run its course
2: and that's really part of that you know utopia dystopia spectrum is that um the 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 story of humans has light and shadow, and in the the wake of corona some of that stuff is really evident you know i mean the 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 data that gets published from the united states it's really clear that uh, anybody who's in 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 a economically disadvantaged situation which often means not necessarily the white populace of America, but people of color um, make up a really significant amount of the victims of of, of COVID, the fatalities. In the UK, um, the uh, Medical Association reports that, um, and this is a, a new word that I, I learned, they've got something called BAME, somebody is BAME, and it stands for Black Asian minority ethnic so you BAME you know like in America people talk of POC um, which means people of color color Mm. Um, and uh, there's a remarkably high distribution amongst uh, black Asian minority ethnic doctors who've been killed by COVID Um, and so uh, uh Some of the analyses of these um, of these data sets uh people are you know careful to point out that uh you you sort of make racial analyses at your own risk um, but what is evident in those those uh, uh, some of the data sets in any case from the United States is that um, the, the socioeconomic conditions have a huge impact as to uh, who falls victim to these things. Well, um, gee, did we know that before? Uh, yeah, we did. It's not that surprising. It affirms things that we already know that the, the cost of economic insecurity, of inequality, is enormous. Um, but we haven't solved that problem. And the way that it, 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 it disconnects from my point of view is that we have specialist data um, that often creates certain impressions um, that can create fairly tangible, um, objective bits of knowledge, um, but they get interpreted uh, in a completely different domain, in a political domain or in the economic domain. Um, So the equality issue becomes a a, a political fight uh, between uh, quality of outcome or quality of opportunity, for example. This is a lot of the um, identity politics backdrop. And subsequently, very little happens within those arenas to actually address issues of equality. But what does happen is that The same story uh, since for at least 500 years is that the violence of our economic endeavour is carried on the backs of the poor. And within that cohort, probably um, more often than not, Women carry more of the inequality than men do. Just with COVID, it uh, tends towards something different: that there are more men dying from COVID, possibly because they live more riskful lives. Um, but those risk-filled lives, um, again, are not necessarily uh, anything other than the pressures of um, socio-economic life. These are decisions that are made within a context, the same way that. Um, the experiments around, for example, rats with heroin, that when you provide rats with heroin within a particularly pressured environment, um, they will continue to, to use the, the, um, the opportunity to kind of step out of the pain but provide them with enough space, good food, um, they choose...
0: Mm. Companion yeah companionship or peop- rats not people but rats
2: but on a societal level that's enormously complex yeah we continue to say this is challenging we can't solve this um, and covid kind of presents the 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 picture that well actually you can you can stop this it can change uh, you can stop flying planes we've been hearing hearing that that's impossible forever and a day, you know, all these uh, supposedly climate change things are completely impossible. They're not completely impossible, but they require different ways of thinking. And probably without the revolutionaries, um, the old fogies are not going to be able to envision something different than what they're familiar with me being an old (laughs) fogey.